something's coming. I don't know what it is, but it's gonna be great. I got a feeling there's a miracle due. It's gonna come through. It's coming to me. Could it be? Yes, it could. Something's coming, something good. If, if I can wait. Can you believe that right now? Can you believe in anticipation that, that something's coming, something good, something better, something new? Can you trust that right now in the world that we're living in at the moment with all that's going on around us? Can you believe that something good and new is coming? Because I'm gonna say so far, 2020 has not been so kind to us. We're all feeling the effects of the pandemic and the quarantine and, and everything from death to, to loss of life, to um, loss of jobs and, and loss of marriages. And more recently, the gross hatred that is, is destroying our communities and the horrific racism that continues to permeate our culture and our country. It's been a rough six months so far. So we have all that going on around us and some of us have our own personal battles that we're fighting individual circumstances that are difficult, illness and, and family issues and just personal distress. I'm gonna be honest, the Christie home has been a little bit of a mess since the beginning of 2020, in addition to all that's been going on around us in the world. We started out with just some relational difficulties and, and then in the midst of the quarantine, our, our roof had to be replaced and then we had mold, a leaky toilet and, and mold. And so the girls' bathroom has been of no use for like the past couple of months as we've had re remediation company coming in and, and fixing that. Um, and then we are, are, even our dining room table snapped in half in the min middle of all of this and, and it, bro it broke. It's like everything is breaking all around me. It's like the world is breaking and so is my home. And then we were, we were blessed and I, I get that this is a blessing to take a, a family trip. Um, it, it, toward the beginning of June, it was, it was a rescheduled trip from spring break we had missed. And let me tell you, we were, we were excited to go away together. Um, but the first uh, eight hours of the trip, I was not sure that we should have gone. We uh, flew into a tornado. So we landed during a tornado, which meant we couldn't get our bags for like an hour and a half because they wouldn't let anyone outside to go get the bags. And then my husband and I realized that we miscommunicated and he rented a car at a different airport that was an hour away. Um, so we got that situated and then we were driving and pouring down rain and we couldn't find anywhere to eat because of course everything's closed. And um, then we pulled up to our hotel and I turned to my husband and I said, it looks really dark. And he's like, oh no, no, no. I booked this like a month ago, you know, through one of those um, other or it, what, he didn't book directly through the hotel. And so we call the hotel and they're like, oh no, we don't open till Wednesday. So it's now like 11 o'clock at night and we have nowhere to sleep for that night. We were moving to a, a condo the next day. So we drove around for another hour trying to find an open hotel um, and we finally found one. But that is how the first eight hours of our trip 
began. We ended up having a, a pretty good time, uh, but it was, it was a little bit crazy. But none of that compares to what we came home to. We got home and I was going to bed the night that we arrived back home from our family vacation. And I saw a little bug on my arm as I was going to sleep. And we found out very quickly that the bed that we had had delivered uh, about a month and a half earlier was infested with bed bugs. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you that I would take lice over bed bugs any day. It is the worst situation ever. And let me just tell you, I found out later that um, they like to host on one person. Guess who that person was? It was me. I thought I had like some form of like um, elder acne or something because I had little spots. Guess what the spots were, people? They were the bed bugs. I know you're all itching right now. Like our whole house, we can't quit itching. It's like phantom itching because we still feel like they're there. Needless to say, our home has been treated um, but in order to do that, I had to pack up everyone's closets, everyone's dressers. I had to like clear out our house. We might as well have moved because that's what it felt like. It's all been treated. The company that we bought the bed from refunded the, the bed and paid for the treatment. So it's all okay, but it has just been a six months. I'm just going to say that. It has been kind of crazy. And there have been a lot of changes in, in my personal life with, um, you know, work and, and my, my parents aging and my kids. And it's not bad. It's just different. And I am going to turn 50 in October. And I find myself often looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? And what am I doing? And where am I going? And what's next? And where do I belong? And I keep thinking, am I turning 50 or 20? Because I feel like these are the thoughts of a 20-year-old, not a 50-year-old, and I know I'm not alone. Many of us right now are feeling confused and frustrated and defeated and weary at some level. But through all that, in the last several weeks, I've had multiple people say to me, maybe God has something new. Maybe God is about to do something new. Something's coming. Can I believe that? Can I trust that? Can you? With all that's going on in the world, in our communities, in our individual lives, can we believe and trust that God is going to do something new, that something better can come out of all of this. I hope so. God himself says it in Isaiah 43, which is where we're gonna be looking today. It's like he's speaking to me. He's speaking to us for this time and for this place. He says in verse 18, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? Let those words sink in for just a moment. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. Something's coming. Those are words of expectation, words of anticipation, words of hope. 
And that is exactly why we are in this series, didn't see that coming. Looking at the book of Isaiah to find words of of hope in the midst of unprecedented circumstances, to see blessing in the midst of hardship and pain, to see God working in the midst of frustration and confusion and fear. The Israelites had, had pretty much hit rock bottom as Isaiah is speaking to them and his God-given words for them, I believe are perfect words for us during what may be deemed at times as our rock bottom in so many ways. This is part of our BYOB series, Bring Your Own Bible. So I hope you have your Bible in front of you as we get ready to dig in. You can also find the scripture on our app And in this series, we always look at three worlds, three worlds in the text, the world behind the text, what was going on at the time that the book of Isaiah was written, the world of the text, what does the text itself say, and the world in front of the text. How does all of this apply to us right here and right now? So before we dig into the text itself, let's look at what was happening at the time it was written, the world behind the text. And to do that, I am basically just going to restate what Tim told us last week because Tim Barry kicked the series off two weeks ago and Tim uh, preached last weekend and they've already kind of given us, both of them, the world behind the text and it's the same world behind the text. And I'm gonna tell you, uh, there's nobody that I trust more uh, with biblical knowledge than Tim Harris. So I'm just going to, he's like our own walking uh, commentary, biblical commentary. So I'm just going to restate a little bit of what he told us about the world behind the text. So the Babylonians had conquered the nation of Judah in 586 BC. And after destroying the entire city of Jerusalem, they gathered up a good number of the conquered Israelites and hauled them back to Babylon. Now, the Babylonians didn't just take any Jew. They chose about 10,000 of the prominent, wealthy, talented, elite Jewish people. They didn't allow the Israelites to bring their sacred religious religious scrolls with them, but they did allow them to settle in the same area and to gather together and to talk and to remember and to sing and to keep as much of their culture and religion alive as possible. But they still, the Israelites still deeply and desperately longed for home. To most Jews, having to live in Babylon was awful. It was a tragic circumstance that seemed would never end. A tragic circumstance for them that seemed would never end. I think some of us feel like we right now, like the Israelites, are in a tragic circumstance that seems will never end. This pandemic, it feels like it's going on and on and it may for quite some time. The Israelites had for years had a hard time trusting God and this period in exile is no different. So that's a little bit of the world behind the text where the Israelites were at that time. And I think it indicates to us that these words are for us right now because we're in a similar spot. We can understand the words that come from this passage of Isaiah that we're looking at today. They were words for the Israelites at a time that they were in, but they are words for us too. Now, I'm not trying to say that what we're going through is comparing, comparing that to the Israelites in exile, 
but it has been a bleak time. And some of you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, actually I do feel a lot like the Israelites, like I have hit rock bottom. And you might find yourself right now having a hard time finding hope, having a hard time trusting God, but something's coming. The first week of the series, Barry started out by saying, God is still working. God is at work. Isaiah 45 says, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. He is still working. And then last week, Tim continued that theme of God is still working, but he added to it that we need to remember what God has done for us in the past. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the things I have done in the past for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. God is still working and we've got to remember the work he has done on our behalf in the past. And today we're gonna add to those two ideas as we continue to look at the book of Isaiah. When you are faced with those moments that you didn't see coming, you remember that God is still working. You remember what he's done for you in the past and you prepare for what is to come. Something's coming, something good, something new. So let's see what God has to say about that in Isaiah chapter 43, starting in verse 14. If you wanna get in your Bibles or go to the app, and find that. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. And the title of this section of scripture is called the Lord's promise of victory. It already sounds hopeful. Something's coming. So let's start Isaiah 43 verse 14 and listen to these prophetic, amazing words. This is what the Lord says, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the seas. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned, their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. Stop there for a moment. Just so you know, he's saying, people, just so you know, I'm gonna deliver you. I'll send an army to fight against Babylon. And you know why? Because I'm God and I can. In verse 15, he says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. Your Holy One stresses the uniqueness of the Lord as the covenant God. And creator of Israel recalls Sinai, where he made a covenant with us. And it underscores the fact that they owe their existence to him, the creator. And the expression, your king, makes the point that we owe our absolute allegiance to God, our King. He says, I am your King, I can do what needs to be done. How do you know I can do what needs to be done? Because I've done it before. Remember Egypt? Verse 16, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned, their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. 
The Lord already did it. He crushed the Egyptian army out of existence because they were chasing his people to enslave or destroy them. So he's reminding Israel of that great deliverance that he made for them in the first place. He is fully able to deliver his people from world powers. I brought you out of slavery once. Did you forget? Remember what I did in the past. I've done it. I can do it again. And then continuing on in verse 18, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and owls too for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself and they will someday honor me before the whole world world. So wait a minute. Forget all that? What? You, you just reminded us of all sorts of ways that you have delivered us and taken care of us and now you're saying forget it? No. This shows that there is a sense in which we, in which we must remember the past in terms of God's great work on our behalf but there is also a sense in which we need to forget the past with all of the discouragement and defeat and move on to what God has for us in the future. God is going to do something new and wonderful. Live for that future moment. Because he says in verse 19, I am going to do something new. Something's coming. Staying stuck in the past can keep us from the new thing God wants for us, the new thing he wants to do. And this, this could mean he's going to do something new or, or a transformation of something that already exists. But if Israel had stayed stuck in the discouragement of Babylon, they would never look for the new thing of release from exile. Is it even possible that we could work against the new thing God wants to do because we're so lost or discouraged by our current or past circumstances or situations? Do we have eyes to see it? If we stay stuck in the past, if we stay stuck in the ugly, we can't see the new, we can't see the possible. Do you not see it? Will you stay in step with my spirit? When he leads into something new, will I not see it? Will I not know it? Will I miss it? We don't want to miss what is coming. Because guess what God is going to do in verse 20? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The Lord is going to bring marvelous new deliverance through the desert. The new thing will be a road through the wilderness. You don't even have to dig through it. He's going to make a road through it. This passage has in view Israel's prophesied deliverance from Babylon. But more than that, it also has in mind the ultimate deliverance brought by Jesus. 
Can you imagine if they had missed all of that because they were stuck in the past or in the present? Remember what God has done, the good he has done, but also look forward to what he's going to do. Something's coming. Then in verse 22 here, it takes a little bit of a turn. Continue on with me. But dear family of Jacob, you refuse to ask for my help. You've grown tired of me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep or goats for burnt offering. You have not honored me with sacrifices, though I have not burdened and wearied you with requests for grain offerings and frankincense. You have not brought me fragrant calamus or pleased me with the fat from sacrifices. Instead, you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your faults. God is saying, why are you ignoring me? In these, in these difficult times, in these awful, awful times, why are you not turning to me, reaching out to me? It's interesting that we at times act like following and serving the Lord is a burden, that it's, it's hard and tiring, that we just need a break. If that's how you feel, then maybe you're not really in step with him. Because this is what it should feel like. In Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and that burden I give you is light. We should never tire of that. That is a gift. That is hope. That is refuge. And yet we don't often connect or abide or lean into our relationship with God. We don't obey. We tire of it. He needs us in step with him if he's going to do something new. And don't you think at times he tires of us? of our continued patterns. Verse 24 says, instead, God is saying, instead you have burdened me with your sins and you've wearied me out with your faults. We as individuals, as the church, as a culture, we keep repeating the same sins over and over. We're wearing God out with the same exhausting, awful behavior. We're no different than the Israelites in that way. Look around. The same issues and broken places keep resurfacing or never going away because we just keep repeating bad behavior. We will never be able to move into something new with God unless we are in step with him. We are seeking him and allowing him and the Holy Spirit to transform us and change us. Then in verse 25, he says, as we continue on, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Let us review the situation together and you can present your case to prove your innocence. From the very beginning, your first ancestor sinned against me. All your leaders broke my laws. That is why I've disgraced your priests. I have decreed complete destruction for Jacob and shame for Israel. What does God do with hard-hearted people, such as the Israelites and, frankly, us? What does he do? 
says there in verse 25. He forgives them and he forgets their sins. Why? Because he loves his people and he longs for their humble return. That's the story of humanity. And we can try to present our case, but we have nothing to stand on. Adam and Eve sinned and we're all sinners since that fallen time. We have no case. We're wrong, sinful, and yet God remains faithful to his promises even when his people prove unfaithful, even when they weary him. It's like the prodigal son. He goes off looking for something new, some new adventure. He leaves his dad, his father that loves him so much and is willing to give him anything that just wants him to return. And he goes and wastes so much time. But then he comes home and the father not only forgives him, he welcomes him with open, open arms and forgets everything. He forgives and forgets. All he wanted was for him to return to him, return to the Father, come home. And God's ultimate act of forgetting and forgiving was Jesus on the cross. So chapter 43 ends a little bleak and down with the, the curses and and with a warning. But then the first verses of 44 move us back to hope. Something's coming. Look at chapter 44, verse one. But now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one, the Lord who made you and helps you says, do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one, for I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irritate irrigate your parched fields and I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I am a descendant of Jacob's. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands and will take the name of Israel as their own. God's promise of hope and restoration. You can still know his goodness. Just return to him. We are his chosen ones. And when we do, when we do, he doesn't promise to sprinkle or dab or drip or even just give, but to pour out. He promises that if Israel returns to him, trusts him, honors and obeys him, abides in him, he will pour out. He will pour out water to quench their thirst. He will pour out his spirit on their descendants. He will pour out his blessing on their children. And when he pours all of this out, he says in verse four, the Israelites, they will thrive. And when we return to him, when we return to him and he pours out on us, I will thrive. You will thrive. We will thrive. And then, 
and then we will proudly exclaim, I belong to God. We belong to God. Could it be? Yes, it could. Something's coming. Something good. Can you believe through all of the pain and hardship and the unknown and the uncertainty that something is coming? He is preparing us for something new. He is preparing us for something better. Margaret Drabble said, when nothing is sure, everything is possible. In this moment, church, everything is possible. All of this upheaval is drawing our attention. It is waking us up. It's not new info. Some of it, some of the issues he wants us to write, he's wanted us to write for years since the fall of humankind. He's just using new ways to get our attention, to bring our attention to what needs to be righted. He's pleading with us right now, begging with us right now, in desperation, These words to us from Isaiah are his pleas to us. How long will it take for us to get it right? I don't want to see more demise, more victims, more hatred. I want to see something new. Like in Isaiah, he knows we're in a rough place right now. Things are hard and unknown. He wants us to remember what he has done and anticipate what he is going to do. He wants us to move people toward him, to bring his kingdom on earth. Not a kingdom of power, but of humility and forgiveness and mercy and love. A kingdom that puts others first. That is so contrary to the world we live in. That's the world turned upside down. A kingdom where everyone is more important than you. A world where if you are able to wear your mask into a Walmart for 15 minutes, you do. Because it makes the woman that you passed on the way in that you didn't realize was immune compromised because of cancer or some other condition, it makes her feel better. It makes her feel better because you have that mask on. A kingdom where she comes before you. A kingdom where people with power give up some of that power so that there can be equality for all, so that there can be liberty and justice for all, because we, the church, choose the path of self-giving love. That is something new. That is something better. That is where God wants to take us a kingdom that wants to right wrongs, heal broken places, a kingdom full of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Something's coming. And yes, it will take the Holy Spirit to get us there. Charles Spurgeon said this, I believe that at this present moment, God's people ought to cry out to him day and night that there may be a fresh baptism into the Holy Ghost 
There are many things that are desirable for the church of Christ, but one thing is absolutely needful. And this is the one thing, the power of the Holy Ghost in the midst of his people. Yes, we need the power of the Holy Spirit so we can be in step with God, lean into him and do something new. Romans 12, 12 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a person by changing the way, into a new person, sorry. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, 12. Living the way Jesus has called us to live may not always be popular, but wow, is it powerful. An upside down world. I saw this sign. I noticed it, I guess, really. I I don't look at street signs a lot. (laughs) Kind of tells you what kind of driver I am. Uh, But I noticed this sign as I was driving into Grace the other day. Just simply says, church. And I wondered, is that, is that sign just an informational sign that there's a church ahead? Or is it a warning? Like, be careful, there's a church ahead, which made me ponder. I hope it's not a warning. I hope it's not just information. I hope when people see that sign, it's a sign of hope. We should be a sign of hope for this community, for the world. Church should be important. The people of God should be revered, not because we have power or or we feel important or self-righteous, but because of our humility and kindness and love and our mercy and forgiveness. Are we worthy of that? If God is going to do something new, then we better be something new. We have to be open-palmed. We have to listen to the Spirit. We have to obey. If he has nothing new for the world, we need to lead the way, forge the path, be his hands and feet. So, of course, I watched Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, the original cast which is just a marvelous piece of art. If you have an opportunity to see it, please watch it. But one of the quotes that stuck out to me the most, I guess because of getting ready to preach this message and all that's going on in the world is is the line, history has its eyes on you. History has its eyes on you. History has its eyes on us right now for this time and place. And I don't want people looking back in 25 or 50 or 100 years and saying, why didn't they do anything? Why didn't they make it better? Why didn't they get it? Why didn't they stand with God and do something new? I don't want people to look back like we do at the Israelites and think, ugh, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they do more? Why weren't they in step with God? For I am about to do something new. 
See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Again, if he's going to do something new, we better be ready to be something new. I can see it. I can see it in the, in the middle of the mess. I can see it. It's on the horizon and I don't want to miss it. Do you? Something's coming. Something's coming. God wants to do something new and he wants us to be a part of it. Won't you join him? So we can all, all thrive. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I know as we sit in our homes or wherever we are watching from today, we long for something new. All of us at some level want something new, want something better. And we know that can only come from you. And it can only come from you when we are in step with you, abiding in you, listening to you, obeying you. When we are allowing your Holy Spirit to work in and through us as individuals and as a community. And we know we can trust that something new is coming because you have done it before. And we stand on your promises and we stand on your faithfulness. We remember that. We know you are still working. We know you have worked before. We have seen it and we can remember that. And now, Lord, we look forward with you. And we lean into you. And we stand hand in hand with each other and with you to move forward and do something new. Thank you for meeting us here today. And it is in your holy and precious and beautiful and merciful and powerful name that we pray. Amen.